Hey, Mario. Hey, how you doing? What's Fantastic. Going on? Awesome. So uh, for anyone, for the, the four people who don't know, uh, Mario used to be a U.S. Coast Guard uh, helicopter rescue swimmer. He is a water safety expert. He's a, a boating safety expert. He used to serve on the board of the National Drowning Prevention Alliance and does a host of activity in regards to open water safety and boating safety. Um, he wrote a, um, I'm going to go ahead and say famous article on drowning, that uh, drowning does not look like drowning, that it's been shared. How many times has that thing been viewed now, you know? I, um, if, you, if you just count my site, Slate, and G-Captain, I, I think it's 26 million on those three sites. Wow. I, I was not expecting you to say that. No, and that's those three sites. It's been it's been translated into seventeen languages, and I haven't I haven't I haven't I haven't given a count. I finally, I finally just released it to the public domain, so hopefully less people would ask if they could print it. <laughs> I still get asked, and I say it, it doesn't belong to me. It's public domain, but uh, right. Uh, and every summer it just gets a resurgence on a different website. Soundings got another couple million views just this summer. That's put crazy. It up on Soundings. Yeah. What What made you want to read that? Uh, th- it started the, the article. I had a version of it that was in on scene magazine. I wrote for the coast guard in 2007. And what prompted that article was a, a rescue case where I wasn't on the case. I was back in the shop and the guy walked in and told the rescue swimmer, a friend of mine told this story that he was, they went out. There was a family that overturned their boat overturned in a squall in Lake Pontchartrain in the, you know, outside New Orleans. And the pilot said, it looks like they're fine. Again, there was people in the water treading water looking at the helicopter. And the pilot said, they look like they're fine. And the rescue swimmer said, no, sir, it looks like they're drowning. And I was, and I was interested in that difference. How did the pilot think they were right. fine? And the swimmer thought they didn't look fine. Mm-hmm. You know, these two guys think different things about drowning. And, and I had before that, I had, I, I had worked at the Secret Service for three weeks helping a friend, the, the, the guy that ran the program, Jim Corey, the water safety program back in the day. Uh, and we sort of, uh, we scammed the Coast Guard and the Secret Service. We scammed each other. He made the Secret Service believe that the Coast Guard wanted to send me. And I made the Coast Guard believe that the Secret Service asked for me. And I got three weeks at the training center to teach his rescue swimmers. But I got to go through his course, too. And that's where I saw first uh, Frank Pia's videos from the 19 from 1970 on drowning. And it showed he had recorded drownings at that beach in New York. Uh, you know, and so there would be a child drowning and an adult swim by or walk by and have no idea. He had, that's all videos from the seventies. And he coined the phrase, the instinctive drowning response. And so I had exposure to that training and I knew what the swimmer was talking about. And I wrote that article, drowning doesn't look like drowning. Uh, and then I tried to give it away to, uh, I try. I sent it to Reader's Digest and uh, uh, Parade Magazine. These these magazines I thought that you know might be interested uh, in the version that I wrote, and nobody wanted it. They said it was too dark, and uh, they don't want it. And so John John Conrad at G Captain said, "Well, I'll put it up on my site," and he did. This was in 2010, and Facebook was really starting to become a thing, and uh, it took his website down. It went viral on Facebook and took his website down. And so I put it up on my website and it took my website down. And it just, <laughs> that was in, two, that was the summer of 2010. And it really, and it was my job. It was my, it was another full-time job that summer answering emails from that initial 
uh, release when it went out. Yeah, I could imagine. So for for anyone who doesn't know, you know, kind of tell the story. What, what you know, what are the misconceptions about drowning? Well, the misconceptions about drowning, uh, and and hopefully it's it's becoming less and less. And I think in part because of the way that article spread. That's what Frank Pia said that you know, that so many more people are talking about it than he could get to talk about it in the seventies. And I think it has a lot to do with the internet, of course, but. The misconception is that you can that, that people will call for help in drowning. That kids will that'll be a splashing, violent event. You know, it'll be a dramatic event. You, you'll you'll be able to see it very very clearly if someone was drowning, and they would call out for help. And we see this still. I saw a, a fire department training video where they were doing training on responding to drown, drownings, and their actor in the water was just going nuts. In a right. fire department video. At a fire department. This That's was uh, four years ago. And uh, and so, it, but in, in reality, a person who's drowning cannot call out for help. Uh, it, you know, if, if speech is an overlaid function of breathing, and if you can't breathe, then you can't stop not breathing, so you can take a breath and speak. You just can't do it. Now, and I get a lot of pushback on that because, well, I yelled and I was in trouble. That's called aquatic distress. That means you know you're at your limits, but real drowning, um, and and particularly children don't go through aquatic distress. They immediately panic if they're non-swimmers. They don't right. have that. They don't have. They're less likely to have that uh, moment of recognition of being in trouble. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll, they're they're quicker to the instinctive drowning response, and so they won't make a sound often. Uh, and any, anyone who's lifeguarded at a pool, a busy pool, will remember seeing kids jump in the water and struggle subsurface and, you know, reach in there and pull them out. And it's a non-event, but they were drowning. That was the instinctive drowning response. Right. You know, and so, and that was a lot of comments on the article was from lifeguards who go, you know, it was never explained to me that I knew that's what it was, but it was never explained that way or why it was that way. So, so what should somebody look like, look for if, uh, you know, what does drowning actually look like? Well, there's no 100% all the time thing they look like, but primarily the instinctive drowning response. Uh, again, what they want is uh, there's a, a struggle for, for air. They want freeboard. They want their mouth above the water and they don't have the capability to do it for whatever reason. Hmm. They're non-swimmers. The water's too cold or, or, or they're, they're hung up on whatever the reason is. The struggle is the head usually goes back to get the mouth up, um, the arms go lateral. The arms go out sideways and press down on the surface of the water. So their heads will bob up above and then go below the surface of the water. And that, that will repeat there. There is some splashing, but there's not this deliberate splashing to gain attention. Right. Uh, it's not usually sl- it, it, the splashing is from their arms extending out laterally and then pushing down on the surface of the water. Uh, I, I've also polite. read that there can be this like uh, climbing invisible ladder kind of thing going on. That you know, is, like, there, there is one yeah. where it looks like they're doing the dog paddle, but they're not making way or they're right. trying to climb a ladder. Yeah. Um, uh, and head back, eyes glassy. If, if they have long hair and it's in front of their face, that's one of the things that lifeguards should now be, of course, trained to look for uh, because people don't like hair in their face. Right. And they'll wipe it out of the way. But if they're, in the instinctive drowning response, they're not controlling their arm movements and they can't stop drowning to get their hair out of their eyes. And so, and again, they're bobbing below and above the surface of the water. So uh, 
people with long hair will be in front of their face. And so that's a that's a real strong indication that they're having trouble. And there's others. And, and, and there's, you know, uh, uh, there are people that have spun around and there's these videos, these kids and they're, they're swimming. It looks their struggle is bringing them underwater or turning them over. Uh, and so that doesn't mean they're not drowning because they're doing something other than this. But the most common indications, the most common uh, reactions to the instinctive drowning response is that head bobbing, climbing a ladder, not making much headway, no supporting kick. Uh, eyes are glassy and unfocused. They're usually facing, if they're at a beach, they're usually facing the shore <clears throat> because that's where they wanted to get to. And that's where the uh, the drowning process began. Um, and so, but primarily, I think what, what parents or people who are watching the water should look for uh, is that thing you're not really looking for. So, you know, uh, kid, you know, kids in the water make noise and splash and play and move around. If they're not doing that, that's who you want to pay attention to. Right. You know, and so it's almost you look for the absence of movement and then evaluate it. Like, what is why is that? You know, well, you know, everyone else is is moving through the water and playing and that child isn't. And so that's that's who you focus on uh, and see how they're doing, you know. And I, I like I'm a big fan of just talking to them. Hey, you OK? If they can go, yes, then they are. You know, if they right. can talk to you about it, then they're OK. Yeah. Uh, if they don't answer you, then, you know, there's no shame in, you know, jumping in the water and taking care of it. I Absolutely. say jump in the water. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get heat for that, jumping in the water. <laughs> in uh, a pool, maybe, with a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. If, if the water's four feet and you're six, you you're can go ahead and jump in untrained. You, you're, yeah. you can jump in untrained and not be a lifeguard and pick up a four-year-old. You're yeah. not going to die. You'll probably be okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but obviously what you're referring to is, you know, if someone's drowning in the ocean and it's an adult and you're not trained, uh, you probably yeah, should swimming go out swimming after them. Yeah. Yeah. Swimming out them can, can certainly turn out bad for, for, for the rescuer, the untrained rescuer, for sure. Right. But even the trained rescuer, depending on, on how bad that situation is. But, uh, but there's this, there's this thing that's stuck because everything that rhymes always sticks around for a while. And so there's <laughs> reach, throw, row and go. Right. Yeah. Or reach through a row, don't go. I mean, they try and, they're trying to find a way to make a moniker that you can remember that teaches sure. you how to rescue. And I, I always, and I, I take heat for this, I kind of disagree. Uh, I should reach if I, you know, if someone's at the pool side. Right. And I can reach and grab them. I don't need to jump in the crowd, just reach and grab them. I get that. But, sure. but it's sort of the idea that you're going to take a lot of time. To, drowning, the instinctive drowning response is 30 to 60 seconds. Usually, and then yeah. they're under, and and now we've got a now we're really risking serious aquatic injury, and I don't think you should let that happen because you're trying to figure out a different way to get to them. When you know, okay, you're a non-swimmer, you know, and and you, and you don't know the rescue gear, um, uh, you know, jump in, grab the side of the pool, reach out and grab them, you know, just you know, but don't stand there and you know wait. Watch someone drown. Don't sit there. You can't. You, you a complete non-swimmer, and there have been families, and it's been tragic. You know, uh, usually in open water, like a river or something, who have one child steps off the edge, starts drowning. The mother goes to get the child. The mother starts drowning. The dad goes out, and then you know, all three of them go. And 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 of course, uh, uh, if if your skills are that far removed, and the environment's that different, then I. Uh, then you can't go. But I couldn't have sat there on the beach on, on the dad's shoulder and told him not to go try and save his wife and kid. And that, right. and that work, 
So that's why it's called tragedy, because that's what's going to happen. They're not going to stand there and go, well, I'll wait for 911, you know. And so right. uh, it, it's I, I think it's better to be equipped. than if you're a non-swimmer in the river, you should have a life jacket on. You know, yeah. that's that's the message there. Not how do I save them? Well, you, before you leave the house, give them life jackets. That's how you save them in, in right. that situation. You know, the uh, the road part of that always struck me as interesting. You know, if someone's drowning, where do you find a, a rowing device? You know, right. Do you, yeah. Do you quick boat. You know, you got a beach, steal a surfboard, you know, fine. I, I don't yeah, get yeah, it. Sure. Um, yeah. um, but, but, but often around pools, the amount of flotation around pools is usually pretty heavy. I've got, uh, I got a pool in my backyard and I've mm-hmm. now it's a shallow pool. So I don't have a problem. I can stand up in the deep end, but right. if I couldn't, if it was deeper, there's the chase lounges have flotation on them. Those pads that I lay on float. Sure. You jump in the water with that, put it between you and the 10 year old and the 10 year old's going to grab it. And then you're both fine. Right. Now, now you can work it. Now you're working a different problem. How do I get to the side of the pool? But I have free board. The child has free board. The drowning's over. Now let's solve a different problem. Uh, and I've, I've seen people struggle poolside trying to figure out what to do about that. I'm not a good swimmer problem uh, while standing next to flotation. Yeah, I guess it's, uh, you know, a little bit of situ- situational awareness, knowing what to look for, you know, uh, realizing that you're sitting next to a life-saving device that you probably had never previously identified as a life-saving device. As a life-saving device, yeah. I've seen, you know, I've seen coolers used to great effect at a beach. Sure. You know, I saw, I saw a really sharp dad pick up the cooler, dump everything out of it, and run out into the surf and, and push the cooler between him and the kid he saw that was struggling in a, in a that, rip current. That's, that's really cool. And then he just held on to the cooler and really waited until they drifted back into the beach. You know, that's how that worked out. Right. You know, and so, and I would have just ran out. I would have just ran out because I'm like, sure. I got it. You know, <laughs> yeah, of the, cooler, the cooler would have been a smarter idea for, for a trained rescuer. And that was when I was young and in shape. And, you know, I right. still would have ran out because I wasn't thinking. Uh, but the dad was smarter than I was, really. <laughs> you know, uh, because, again, uh you know, you say in drowning, you want to say you want, you're trying to solve one problem at a time. Right. And, and the, the problem was the kid uh, was having an airway problem. And so he, he, he quickly got there with a cooler and now he had a different problem. The airway problem solved. Now I just got to get back to the beach. Right. You know, and so uh, I was going to go out there and do the whole rescue, you know, and and, uh, and it's not that I don't think I could have pulled it off. But it, it, I, uh, they came back not tired, ready to have lunch. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it'd have been a struggle if I, you know, did it. Yeah. You would have ran it, swam out there, brute forced it, brought it back, you know? Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the, it's the young firefighter, old firefighter, uh, uh, thing, you know, where the young firefighter, you know, bust down the door and the, uh, the young firefighter checks to see if it's hot and locked, you know, yeah. it opens it. Yeah. What, what gear do you have behind you there? Oh, sorry. I'm in my office at Life Saving Systems. This is, and my office is the showroom. So this is all okay. the rescue gear that we make here. Oh, we make cool. baskets, and, baskets and litters, and those are the rescue litters, and those are the harnesses that the guys, the rescue swimmers, use. And uh, and this is the the perfect job for an ex helicopter rescue guy who who is too <laughs> old to hang from a helicopter. So. So why did you decide to join the Coast Guard? I, uh, I was in the Navy and I had gotten out of the Navy and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was 
walking up and down the beach in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. And I saw the and and I when I was in the Navy, I saw the the helicopter rescue guys in the Navy when I was on an aircraft carrier, and I wanted to do it. And they go, "Nah, we can't let you do it." You you know, I was a radar technician. And they go, "Now we have too much money in your radar training. We can't let you do that." And I went, "Well, all right. Well, I'm going to get out." Uh, and then I wanted to join the Coast Guard, and they wanted to be a ra- they wanted me to be a radar technician. And I said, "I want to be a rescue swimmer." And I right. and so I just had to wait. I just had to to wait. And I wanted to do it. I, I don't, I don't know. I thought I'd be good at it. I, you, know, you know, I'm young and I go, you, know, everyone, you want to do what you're good at or you want to be good at what you do. Right. Uh, and so I were, thought were, I, you I not, were you not good at being a, a radar technician? <laughs> no, I was pretty good at it, but I didn't like doing it. You know, right. I was, yeah. I was, I was, no, and I could have, I could have made a perfectly good living for my life being, you know, an electronics technician. Uh, I have friends that I was on the boat with when I was 19 who are still doing that line of work and uh, are doing fine. Uh, it just never wasn't for you. Never, I wasn't really excited about it. That's right. all. And so, and, so uh, from 18 to 22, I'm guessing you were in the Navy ish. Yeah, I turned 18 in boot camp and then I, I spent six years in the Navy and uh, then I got out. Uh, and so you so you went in early. Oh yeah, yeah. I turned. I, I, my I, my mother had to sign to to have me join when I was seventeen. Uh, my my uh, my dad did the same thing. He uh, he wanted to go to the army when he was seventeen to get out of his house, and uh, yeah, he had to have his mom sign, and uh, he volunteered to go to Vietnam uh, when he was wow. seventeen. Yeah, but yeah, same. But yeah, you know, same kind of thing. He got the permission slip and the whole nine. You know. Yeah, I, uh, my mother ran down waving a pen. She's like, "Yes, take them, <laughs> please." <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so I, I just wanted to do the job, and I and I went in the Coast Guard, and I almost didn't do it. I almost because I went, I went in the Coast Guard, and I was on a boat with a guy. I was on a patrol boat, and my boss was a bosun mate. He's the guy that you know he, he drove the boat, uh, and drove the small boat, and he was really cool, and I really liked him. And when you really like someone, you know, you want to be that guy. And I, right. and, and I almost became a bosun mate and a boat driver. Uh, and then at the last, I mean, the very la- I mean, the day I was going to sign the papers and become a boat driver, my orders to rescue swimmer school came in and I went, see, ya. <laughs> and I, and I yeah, decided to go that route. So it worked out. Yeah. A little bit. I would say so. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. So, so talk about being a rescue swimmer. What does that entail for anybody who isn't aware of what that means? You know? Yeah, it's a uh, it it's a lot harder to get the job than to do the job. Okay. I say, people don't like when they say that, but it's true. It's really hard to get the job. There's a, I, there's I, a mean, I, I guess kind of like any kind of special ops, Navy SEALs. Um, no, you know, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's hard to get in. You know, it's it's hard to get in. It's it's hard to make it through the training. It's not Navy SEAL training. Let's clear right. that up. I mean, it's, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's tough. It's the toughest thing the Coast Guard's got. Right. Um, uh, that's not Navy SEAL training because the Coast Guard has a couple. They had a couple guys pass uh, SEAL school. Um, there's a couple Coast Guard SEALs out there now, um, oh, cool. but uh, but uh, uh, it's certainly the, the the toughest non-combat training uh, for sure. I um, I think, um, and, and uh, for different reasons, mm-hmm. um, uh, and there's a there, you know it's a 16, 17, or maybe now even 18 week school in North Carolina, 
and I don't know that I'd make it through today. I mean, I, I, I did, I went to school, I got the job, I did the job, then I worked at the school and I think it's probably harder. I think it's probably harder now. Uh, and I feel like I barely made it through. Like I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's what it feels like. It feels like you barely make it through. You know, I, I think everyone probably, thinks they graduated by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. I was gonna say, it's probably on purpose to make it feel like you just barely made it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, um, but it was humbling and, and it was, uh, it was a uh, uh, decent training. And then you go out there and do the job and learn what it really is. Uh, and it's a bit different than training. Um, uh, and you know, the job is what we call, you know, 30 days of boredom followed by 30 seconds of panic. I mean, there's a lot of waiting around, you know, there's a lot of, you know, flying around, you know, turning what we call turning fuel into noise. I mean, most SAR, most SAR cases, I mean, nine out of 10 of them, Nine out of ten times, it seems like, when the aircraft takes off, we land, having made no difference in anyone's life whatsoever, because you don't find anything, uh, or it wasn't a real thing to find, or you know, whatever the case is. And so, and uh, you know, a lot of the work is just medical evacuations. You know, you do all this rescue swimmer training, and you got to pull three angry guys out of the water in thirty minutes, and it's a real hassle to pass that final test. And then your first twenty rescues, or you go down to a boat and walk around. Right. You know, and so, uh, and you're just using your EMT skills to package up a patient and, you know, you're pretty much hauling them back to the beach, you know, to the hospital. So, uh, but then every now and then it's a really hairy rescue in big water and waves and, uh, and then you find out what kind of shape you're in. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt like I should swim more. Yeah. Right. I should have trained more. Uh, so talk about the, the movie. Which which movie? The, the Guardian the movie? The movie, the yeah. Oh, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was not entirely embarrassing. Okay. It could have been. It could have been embarrassing. It wasn't. It was, uh, uh, if, you've, if you've seen it, if you, if you haven't seen it, it's one of those when you cannot figure out what else to watch, you should watch it. Yeah, I saw it like um, 10 years ago. I don't remember it much, you know? Yeah. No, and I feel well, like I can watch it now with some context, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, well, you know, all the rescue, people asking, was it real? All the rescues that they showed in the movie was what were realistic. What was unrealistic was all four or five of them happened to the same guy within three months, you know? Right. That, that <laughs> yeah. They were all like epic once in a lifetime rescues, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the other thing that was unreal, uh, was the operations center had like seven people in it and live feeds from the live feeds from the rescue. And, and the operations center is a phone. There's three televisions on the wall. Two of them have football scores on and the other one's, uh, you know, the calendar, you know, and, and there's one guy in there, you know, it's right. not like a team. They sort of mix the idea of the, they made it look air cool. station operations center and the rescue center. And so it was kind of a, they had to tell a story, but that was unrealistic. Um, Anyway, but the, and the training and the, and the training they showed was not realistic because there, there weren't enough grown men crying, right. you know, it didn't look that, hard that, enough. You know? That, that might've been more compelling actually, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are some B roll scenes that they filmed of the actual training that they interjected. So when you see the kid throwing up cause he's exhausted, that that's, that's actually from the school. Wow. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So is the, uh, is the Kevin Costner character, literally based on you or is this um no, uh, montage no, or no i think i think no i think well the, 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 it was complete fiction yeah uh, the guy who wrote the guy who wrote the script didn't know any of us or right. i don't even know if he talked to any i don't even think he talked to anybody yeah gotcha. he didn't know he didn't seem to know anything the guy that, the guy that wrote <laughs> the script costner based 
his his actions on and I I know it's because I watched him do it. He based most of his character on a guy named Bobby Watson. Okay. Who was like, you know, he was older and in better shape than all of us, you know, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and quite the legend. He spent a lot of time talking to Bobby and then he took on Bobby's mannerisms. Gotcha. Bobby had like three broken fingers. And in the movie, if you watch it, Kevin Costner's right hand's always kind of crooked. Gotcha. Right. He does that kind of stuff. He said he, he was, he was playing Bobby is what he was doing. I know he was. That's pretty cool though. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, the guy that was me was the guy you never saw who was in the back sewing stuff. That was me. <laughs> sewing things together. Yeah. Are Are you in the film at all anywhere? Not at all. No, not even for a second. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I, there I, when they filmed it. I yeah. was there. My involvement was in the before. My only involvement with the movie was in was before. Uh, before they decided to do the movie they came on a research thing to north carolina and for two days i walked around with kevin costner and answered questions when he wasn't talking to bobby right you know just they walked around the base for a couple of days and asked questions and saw the school and and uh uh so it was a you know i somewhere deep in the archive i got a picture of me and uh kevin and ashton kusher and and the director we're just standing there but uh, that was it. And then they came to film it and, you know, uh, that was, that was it. At least they spent a couple of days walking around and trying to get a feel for it. You know, they spent a lot, they spent a lot, they spent a lot of time. They spent some time in the pool and, and, uh, um, you know, and, and, and in the movie, Bobby Watson was in the movie, like he's okay. in the movie and they had like three instructors. <laughs> they had three real instructors on the pool deck as actors in the movie. And so that, that's who the guys that were telling them, this is real, this is not real, whatever. I mean, that makes a huge difference, right? I mean, if you've got somebody who really knows what's going on, you know, that, that could probably, you know, make or break something like that. Yeah. So hey, I want to talk, I want to know, I want to know about, about uh, pool barriers. Cause I know you guys have been making, making fencing for years. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to to what's been the most effective. I mean, some places require double barriers or, or you know, three sides, three sides, and you can't you can't use the house as a barrier if it's got a door, things like that. But I just wonder what, because you guys, you make primarily pool fencing, right? Do you do you make do you make surface barriers like nets or anything? Are you guys getting into that at all? We don't. No. So we we exclusively make you know the mesh pool safety fences. Um, okay. and, and we find those to be the most effective more than the nets. Um, not because there's anything wrong with nets. The, the I think problem, they're easier to take down. They're right, easier to the, use. The problem with nets is people, um, right. like most things, right? The nets are hard to get on and off. So, you know, if you take a net off and you think you, you know, might go back in the pool at some point, you're not going to put it back on. And likewise, you know, if you've got the net on, there's a good chance, you know, you don't feel like taking the net off to get in the pool. So, yeah. so yeah, the, the main issue with nets isn't the net, it's, you know, human beings. Right. So with the fence, it's nice, you open it up, it's got a gate, you walk through it, it closes behind you, you can leave it up all the time, you know, you could take it down for a party if you had to, but, you know, right. uh, you don't have to worry about you know, completely disassembling it to... I like, the net, I, like the, I like the nets for closing the pool down for the winter. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Or, or a pool cover, I guess they got those up north, you know? Yeah. They have the winter covers, but, but yeah, you know... You know, litters of protection, you know, with a pool fence, 
I think is you know, your, your best, most effective bet, you know, yeah. for sure. With a self-closing, self-hatching gate, um, with an alarm on it, if you really want to go, you know, full bore. Get next level. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably your safest thing, you know? So it's funny, you use the word effective. And I, I thought about, um, you know, kind of the, the scope of, of what you've done. And it, it seems like you've, you've done a good job of figuring out the way that you can uh, contribute most effectively in the, in the role that you're in. And uh, I read a book a long time ago called the, uh, the effective executive. And that's kind of the, the gist of it is that you, you know, at any given moment you decide, all right, what can I do? to contribute the most to this situation at any given time. And I was thinking about your, um, like the online classes you, you came up with in the, in the Coast Guard uh, for the aviation school, right? Um, yeah. I mean, that seems to be an ongoing um, thing. You, you did the classes and then you wrote the article. Um, you know. Well, I think, I think listen, I, I think focus i stumbled into drowning prevention i was not a drowning prevention guy we met you and i met i think sure. we went to 2012 ndpa meeting in san diego absolutely yeah and uh but i got asked to speak because i wrote that article that, that that's why i got right. asked to speak because i wrote that article and someone contacted me and i was in the coast guard and i'm like hey cool they'll you know i'll get to go speak and and i was in the coast guard at the time i came in uniform and, and spoke and uh and really, the next thing I knew, I think I was on the board of the J of the Joshua Collingsworth Memorial Foundation mm -hmm. the second night I was there. Gotcha. And they okay. voted me onto the board. And then because and I gave that talk there on 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 risk analysis, you know, what can you know? And but are I wasn't still, a drowning guy. Are you still on that board? Still, that's the that is the board I'm still on. That's cool. That's the one, you know, and, and, and one of the reasons that's the one board I'm so I've been on several and that's the one that I'm attached to because I had to pick one. Right. Uh, I'm not because I'm, I'm, I'm not an early education guy. I'm not a childhood education guy. I'm uh, and I'm not really a drowning prevention uh, guy. I'm a response guy. I'm uh, you know, my expertise is in what you do when you didn't prevent drowning. And so, you know, boating safety is one thing, uh, but my expertise uh, isn't in boating. Um, my expertise is after you stop boating safely and now you need rescue. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so my boating safety advice is about all the mistakes I saw made that turned safe boating into not safe boating. Uh, so it's more, it's more philosophy, but I, but I think picking one thing. So with drowning prevention, you know, if I have a goal, it is to teach everyone I can that, uh, it's complex uh, uh, it's, and if all I do for the rest of my life is get more people to realize that drowning is silent and that you should look, that if you're not watching the water, you're not watching, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not there. If you're not looking at the water, if I can just get that across that, that's it. Uh, you know, um, and so that's, that's my side hustle. My side hobby is that is, 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 is that that's why every chance I get, I can get the article translated. I do and put it up and share it in that country so we can move it around. Uh, with JCMF, with the, the Joshua College with Memorial Foundation, you know, which is uh, a plug, joshtheotter.org. If you, I had to pick one because you, you get scattered and you end up being no good at, at any of them. So I just right. wanted to, to, to focus on one uh, and uh Quite frankly, that that's the one to me uh, 
that I think has the, the, the greatest chance for long-term impact is getting to, you get, you get to a, if I can get to a two-year-old, uh, then all the things you and I talk about, about drowning prevention will be the things a, that that 16 year old will say, well, duh, like we've always known that, like, how is that? Right. Yeah. And that's what we're going for. You know, I'm going for my daughter in the car. God, she was eight calling me out for seatbelts. And yeah. I remember I went to a, I, I stopped. I don't know. I don't remember where it was, but I stopped and I bought beer. I think it was like a, fourth of july party and i bought beer right and i brought it into the car and she says you can't do that you're driving I said, just carrying, <laughs> i'm just carrying it honey i'm just carrying it you know yeah but, you know very serious about so drunk driving and seatbelts were handled you know kids you know young kids just or at least certainly she had, had known it so making a generational change in the way people think so that my article doesn't go viral because it's not news to anybody right we all know you know yeah. so, right and so uh, I, I think that's what uh, Blake and Kathy are trying to do. And and that's why that's that's my board. You know, I'll leave when they kick me off because I've been there too long, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, um, as far as boating safety, you wrote an article once and there was a line in it that stuck with me. And I, and I hope it was you. Um, yeah. But what it said was that uh, open water tragedies, boating tragedies happen before you leave the dock that if if something goes wrong on a boat the, the error was made you know at home or on the way there or at the dock in preparation i haven't seen yeah i haven't seen it with the exception of some medevacs okay sure guy has undiagnosed appendicitis and it gets and then it flares up what he's out to see that's right. just that's, what you get a, worker, a boat yeah. worker a boat worker who falls and breaks an arm that's that's just what you get that's uh, that's sure. the hazard of the job but every SAR case i've been on every one i've studied the error chain starts before the line is thrown off invariably. Like I've never seen one. Right. Um, uh, and, and I get argument that's a philosophy. Okay. It's fair enough. Cause well, what about a collision? Somebody hits me and it wasn't my fault. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think you have a training problem with lookout, you know, yeah. I think I, I don't think you've carefully evaluated your safe speed and, and what you're doing out there. If you're in a place where on the open water, you can get hit and have no option. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's semantic. So I suppose, you know, that's it, you, you know, and it's you're in a crowded waterway and someone bumps into you and knocks a hole in your boat. OK, all right. Fair enough. That wasn't caused before leaving the dock. But those aren't usually the those aren't used those are the ones that end up costing you money they're rarely the ones where people i'm talking about the people that i fly out to look for and never find you know right. which happens you want to drop your jaw and i've got a google alert for the phrase coast guard suspends search oh wow daily every day every day all over the country all over the world every day someone's given up on a search every day twice a day for, you know, four times a day, they give up and you don't hear about it, but the, the, the person's unaccounted for, uh, in, you know, the coast guard stats got the coast guard got, and I think I, I sold, I said this to you in 2012 when at the NDPA conference, the, the dip in boating statistics where boating got dramatically safer in the late eighties was because they changed the way they counted the numbers. Right. 
they count people that they didn't find, they called dead. And they realized, we don't know if they're dead. They could be dead. They could be fishing. Maybe they ran away. I don't know. And they, so they called them persons unaccounted for. And it changed the statistics. But there were, in a five-year period, there were 3,687 persons unaccounted for. Wow. Yeah, it happens every right now. This morning, someone flew a final search on the East Coast and gave up on a boat. Guaranteed. Happens wow. every, you know, it's daily. And so... Uh, that's what happens. They, they give up and then you don't hear about it because the guys from, you know, or, the, you know, it, it's in another city and it doesn't make national news. The sure. two kids go missing off of uh, Fort Lauderdale. It makes national news because they're two young kids. Right. Uh, and it's tragic and it captures the nation's attention. And it happens seven times that week to other people you didn't hear about. Sure. You know, and so uh, that was my focus for boating safety was, listen, these are mistakes that made before leaving the dock. The mistake there uh and I'm, I'm unafraid to say it was letting 14 year olds go offshore. Yeah. I, I thought that same thing actually. Yeah. The father said they weren't, he, he, uh, he said on the news, they weren't, they were just supposed to stay in the river. They weren't, they weren't going to go offshore, but the 911 call said they went offshore. So they knew, you know, yeah. So, yeah, it was, they were allowed to go offshore and it's not that kids can't boat, you know, I get to see, you know, I boated my whole life. That's great. And as long as everything goes fine, a 15 year old's equipped. Sure. But a 15 year old's not equipped to get his boat flipped and be upside down seven miles offshore. He's not equipped. Right. He's got no chance. You know, he's too young. Uh, and it, it's the same reason I don't like 16 year olds as lifeguards. Um, and I know they do it. And the Red Cross says they can do it. Uh, but I don't think a 16 year old should be a lifeguard by themselves. Like you can get, you can, you can, a 16 year old can become a, a Red Cross certified lifeguard and they can go get a job at the local apartment pool and be the only lifeguard on duty. And it doesn't, I don't think they can't do the job. What I think is they should not, uh, when, when you let your 16 year old be a lifeguard by themselves at a pool, you're saying, I'm okay if he ends up doing CPR on a four year old and thinking the child's death is his fault. And I don't think that's fair to do to a 16 year old. I don't think they can handle it. I don't think they should have to handle that. Right. I don't want my 16 year old going, did I kill that child? It's too young to, to put that responsibility on. Not that they can't go do a save. And so I'm all for, they can be 16 year old lifeguards, but they're not gonna, not by themselves. That's what I, that's what I think. Yeah, that. I mean, a, a lifeguard's job, that's what I think. No, no, but a lifeguard, a lifeguard's job is literally, to you know save someone in a life or death situation you know that yeah, doesn't sound like a 16 year old job you know? yeah and and whether and whether whether it's the it doesn't matter about fault it's going to feel like their fault of course absolutely you know you know it could have been the, the kid could have had a seizure this is my thing the whiskars database the cdc database on drownings you know no one's ever drowned ever ever there's no history of anyone ever drowning because they had a seizure okay well, because you can't tell they had a seizure when you were, you know, when, when they're recovered, there's no evidence of a seizure. Right. There's no, there's no blood draw to say they seized. Sure. You know, and so, so it's never counted. Um, and, and if you have a seizure and you haven't had them before, the doctor won't let you drive for six months. Uh, and he says you shouldn't go swimming. You know, somebody had their first seizure while swimming. 
and they drown, but it doesn't get counted that way. Anyway, so I say that to say this, that, you know, it cannot be the lifeguard's fault that the person drowned and didn't recover or that they missed it because they're 16 and they're by themselves. And and then, uh, uh, and whether that it's going to feel like their fault, they're, they're going to spend a massive amount of time with that emotional trauma. And I think that's too young to put on a 16 year old. No, I so agree. They're Red Cross. So they're Red Cross. That's what I think. <laughs> you know, um, you talk about stats. The the, uh, the stat that I wish we could change or adjust is how we count a drowning fatality, or we don't count a drowning fatality twelve months later, or six months later, or yeah, yeah. two years later. Right? Where you know yeah. someone you know drowned, they survived, they you know had a bunch of damage. And then they pass away a year later or two years later. And yeah. that doesn't get, you know, it's not part of the public record. Um, yeah. I think we're, we're severely underestimating the number of people that die because, you know, they die of a respiratory complication, you know, eight Six months later. later right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the states all do it different anyway. Right. You know, some states, if they die three hours later, it's not because of drowning. Which is, you know? I mean, that's insane. You know? Yeah. And so I, I don't know what the answer is. I, you, you have to federalize the, the database. You'd have to federalize. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think well, we have the will. we have the CDC already. I feel like that's uh, I don't know. Yeah, but like those numbers are. But those reports come in from different state agencies, and right. their criteria for reporting a certain thing is different. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. You know, for yeah. sure, for sure, someone's died from drowning and it got recorded as something else. That happens all the time, and so. Uh, so if you look for a drowning death, it's not going to show up, even though it was, like you said, because it happened a month later or even a week later, you know, they'll say they died of heart failure or, you sure. know, a five-year-old. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So tell me about life-saving systems. What do you guys do now? They've been doing it for 38 years. I got this job. I didn't expect this job at all. This was a surprise job. I, uh, I was minding my own, but I just gone down to, uh, um, to Fort Pierce to teach a boating, uh, a professional mariners, what's called STCW, uh, the a professional mariners boating safety course, a week long course. And, uh, and I was taking a break at, um, in New Smyrna beach and my phone rang and it was uh, this guy that owns this place, uh, Sam Manis. And, and I knew who he was, but I'd never met him. And, uh, he said, uh, uh, I asked him, I thought he had like three X rescue guys in here. And he goes, no, I got 35 people and none of them have ever been in a helicopter with me. I can't leave. I can't, I'm the only one I can talk to a customer. And, uh, he asked if I'd come here so you know he could take vacation, you know, which is where <laughs> he is right now, actually. But it's, uh, uh, but they've made, uh, Sam's makes most of the helicopter rescue gear and a lot of the boating rescue gear that the Coast Guard uses and Navy uses. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, in the world. And so every rescue, every helicopter rescue basket you've ever seen on the news was made here. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's a true manufacturing plant. It's 30,000 square feet. And it's, they, we get in raw metal and material in one end and they cut it up, cut it, bend it, shape it, weld it, and turn it into rescue baskets and litters on the other side. Sounds like my place. Yeah. yeah it's pretty, it's pretty, it's uh it's a pretty uh, decent place. So, you know, it's small. It's a real niche market. There's not a lot of helicopter rescue gear out there. Right. Um, uh, but, 
uh, I think it's certainly the best, and I like uh, Sam's attitude. I you got the prime man here with a crowbar. He's like the guys. The rescuer should have the best gear possible, and if we can't make it, they should get it somewhere else. And so it's hard not to like working for a guy like that. So. Sure. So what do you do there? I'm the general manager. I, I, they came here. I didn't know, you know. They wanted me to talk to customers, and then uh, three months later, they had asked me to do so much stuff. I'm like, okay, that's five years worth of work. What should I do first? <laughs> uh, and and that was two and a half years ago. And uh, um, now I'm the general manager. So okay. Um, uh, so uh, so what I do? Uh, product development. I still talk to customers a lot. Uh, uh, but manufacturing process and, you know, what's a good piece of gear, what's not, you know, what are we making next? What are we not going to make anymore? You know, what's dangerous, what's not, what's not dangerous. So, uh, and, uh, and now my big project for this year is, is product context is we've made these things for a reason and we're starting to notice that the rescuers don't know what they're for. Like, why is it that way? They don't know why. Hey, why is that buckle over there? Or why is that? Why is it shaped this way? And, you know, and so just getting across why it's designed the way it is so they can make better decisions about how they use it. You know, I'm seeing pictures of our gear all the time being used in a way that we didn't intend for it to be used. Like, that's not what it's designed for. Right. And so, uh, but that's, we have a responsibility there, I think, to to tell the story of each product and why it's made the way it is and, and why this is this was the intent. Sure. Uh, Cause you can't tell a rescue guy what to do. Like he knows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we're just going to tell them what we meant and then they can, then they can make a decision. Yeah. They can choose to do that or not, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So what other, besides uh, this and the drowning doesn't look like drowning, what other kind of side things do you have going on? Um, I'm trying to do less and less side things, but the, the, the my latest side, I, I, I wrote for Soundings Magazine, this weekly safety blog, and then I ran out of stuff to say. I felt like I felt like I felt like I was teaching a class and I was out of stuff to say. And so I just said, any questions? You know, I just we just turned it into a, a Q&A thing, like ask Mario, like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm like, I, I've told you everything I think you should know. And until you get good at this, I got nothing, you know, and so. Right. Uh, so now they're asking questions. And so now I'm doing a, que a weekly question and answer thing on that. And I did an online boating safety course for Boaters University, which is pretty much five hours of uh, me dropping a lifetime of those mistakes made at the dock. You know, this is what gets you bit out there. This is how right. not to get bit out there based on what I've seen. And so. Uh, it's not a typical boating safety course. I'm not going to teach you nav rules or that you should have a sharp lookout. It's it's going to be on float plans and checklists and maintenance and training. And um, every life raft has a boarding ramp on it, a ladder that hangs down from the raft to help you climb into it. If you step on it, you're never getting in the raft, you know. So those kinds of trade secrets, if you will. Sure. Um, the, the, the things I know that you wouldn't know that like the, the, the day end of the flare that pops off orange smoke is really good at night because okay. of what the aircraft, they look, they look with infrared. It's not orange smoke. It's really hot orange smoke. And when they look for infrared, they see it for a long, anyway. So, so things, things like that. And that course is at boatersuniversity.com. And it, it just got released like a week ago. It was a complete hassle to make. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take? Forever. 
forever. It took forever. It took forever. It was like three days of filming, and then uh, and then so much work uh, before and after that. That, uh, but I didn't. I was go. I always wanted to do it. I wanted to do it on on my website, but I had, I've got this pesky day job that I love, and I didn't sure. want to do a bad job of it. So I, 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 uh, I was back and forth, and I just teamed up with these guys because they seemed to put on a quality course, and and uh, so uh, that just released, and people are buying it, and good, you know. So that's what how, how much is it? It's a lot of money. It's three hundred and fifty dollars, okay. which uh, I'm. I'm proud of. I don't. You can take an. You can take a boating safety course for thirty five dollars. Um, but I can assure you, you're not going to hear any of this stuff that I'm telling you. You know, I think I take this by all means. Take the boating safety course. That's the stuff I'm. I'm not teaching. This is not. It's not basic. Right. It is. It is. It is next level. I think. And so. Uh, so it's it's there for three fifty. Um, but if you email me at Mario at Petoni.com uh, or Mario at Mario Petoni.com. I'll send you a discount code for 20% off. There you go. 70 bucks. You can't beat that. Quick math. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, you know, it's like, it's like it's I work with numbers. I've got the brain on Eric. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> you know? it's, it's like I look at financial statements and P&Ls all day. It's weird, right? It's, it's funny how that works, you know? Um, yeah. So is there anything that you want people to know before we, uh, before we let you go back to work? Safety around the water. Safety around the water is like everything more complex than you think it is. Yeah, it's more complex. It, it, it requires effort. It requires thought, and it requires some of your some of your time. And so the water's got to be blue and clear, and it's got to be fun. And I'm not trying to take the fun out of your water activities, but if you don't spend some time, some time, seriously considering how you're going to be safe today, you're not going to be safe today. I agree with that 100%. All right. Thanks, Mario. I really appreciate you doing this. You bet. No problem at all. And thanks for the article and everything else you've done. Um, you know, I, I think your article is kind of like pool fence in that it, it's hard to gauge, you know, how many people you've probably affected or saved with it, you know, but there's a, you know, guaranteed it's had to have had an impact for sure, you know. Well, thanks. Absolutely. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, Mar Mario. Take it easy. Thanks. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Click that for me, Sarah.